Each generation through its trials and its triumphs, valleys and plateaus provides a trove of lessons for the generations that follow them. We advance by building on the work of those who have gone before us, and many of them are still among us to put us on game. Gen Activist is an intergenerational podcast presented by Rosa Rebellion, a platform for creative activism by and for women of color. Imagine it as a historical digital archive remastered for contemporary use and permanent preservation. These are our stories told for us by us. You're listening to Gen Activist. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the pod, everyone. We're super excited that you're listening to another episode of the Gen Activist Podcast. We have a very special episode for you today. If you didn't know, back in March of this year, we had our first live taping of Gen Activist at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. G-Mom was there live in person. It was so cool. And we got to be in conversation with the amazing artist, Deborah Roberts. She's a native Austinite, and she's done just some amazing, prolific, provocative art that really seeks to humanize um, children, black children in particular, and also just to create conversations around important topics. And so we think that you will enjoy this conversation between us, Deborah Roberts, and G-Mom. Check it out. Jim. Activist, yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you. Well, um, as Julia said, my name is Virginia Comperbachner, so there's one of the co-founders of Rose Rebellion, and you'll hear from the other co-founders, they can party a little bit later tonight. Um, and we are so honored to welcome y'all um, this evening for International Women's Day. And typically what we say um, during a taping of the Genactus podcast is welcome to our virtual living room. But we are so excited. This is the first time you've ever been live. Yeah. Thank you so much for being part of our first studio audience. You know, it's exciting. Um, and our co-host, we, we all hail from different parts of the country. You'll hear from Dr. Sylvia Rousseau, who we affectionately call G-Mom. She came in from L.A. from y'all. Um, and then we have Megan, who's in Houston, and myself, who's right here from Austin, Texas. And so what a treat it is to take a little bit of a preview of season two with all of you today here um, for South by Southwest Media. And today is a special day because all around the world, we are collectively celebrating the power and contributions of women and girls. But when South by EDU asked for your to take part in today's recognition, we immediately reflected in all the ways these conversations, these movements are often siloed, silenced, and separate from the nuanced experiences of women of color and brown and black girls. We can't have gender equity without racial justice. We can't empower women and girls or all genders without acknowledging and agitating the systems, institutions, and stories that we know have not included all of our histories or all of our voices. So tonight, we invite you to join us in dialogue on how the power of story through arts and creative works can teach us new ideas, can transform oppressive systems, and tell the truth of our full humanity. And so now, I'm going to turn it over to Dr. Sylvia Rousseau, who I have the honor of calling my grandmother, who we affectionately call G-Mom, who you know is an education activist, and who will be in an amazing conversation with someone as a fellow Austinite I'm so thrilled and honored to have share a stage with her. The Austin-grown, amazing, world-renowned artist Deborah Roberts and Rosa Budden co-founder Megan Harding. So welcome, y'all. Thank you. 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 Thank
excited to have this conversation with Devin Roberts because he is an artist that's first my heart when I look. Her images and love of women and our fullness inspires me. And I call, I'm an educator, but she's an educator too. So Deborah, I want to ask you, there are three things that I see as I've been reading about your work and your journey. There are two or three things that just seem to come out. That your work is rooted in history, and but you don't remain there. And then you evolve as a person, and your work evolves, but you're not stopping there. You're looking toward the future. And I think I'm right in that, but you can tell me. But it makes me think of what John Henry Clark, the African-American uh, historian, said. He said, history isn't everything, but it's a start. And it's the chart that helps us find our place on the map of human geography. And I think all history has been filled with people searching for their place on the map of human geography. Some people trying to tell them where they belong, but then the human spirit that I see in your work, Deborah, says, no thank you. I'll decide for myself where I belong. And then the final part of John Henry Clark, Deborah, he says, not only does it help us find our place on the, on the map of human geography, but more than that, it tells us what we must become. So do I, that kinship between I see think, uh, John Henry Clark and you, am I accurate or help me understand? <laughs> yeah, there's some similarities um, to my work. Um, I take a four-prong approach to my, my collages. Um, I look at American history, black history, pop culture, and um, and I combine all those things together and create these images of black children as I feel the world sees them. Where they are sometimes seen as adults when they're really children acting as children. So uh, I take on a lot of social um, problems and engagements and I talk about that in my, in my work. You know something that comes across in your work is love. I feel that you love our humanity. I feel that you, you want to see us continue, and you want to capture us with our goodness and our purpose and our beauty. Um, and our children, you do a lot of work around children, and a lot of your work is children having the opportunity to be children and be loved. So Megan, do you have something, children, we're maybe going to talk about children here for a minute, because you make such a focus on young women having a chance to be a child. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, part of my practice is, is that, you know, young black girls are sometimes seen less innocent as white girls, and they are just as innocent. Sometimes they have to take on more duties and family responsibilities that tend to make them seem older, but they're still children. And one of the things that I do in my practice is that I, I allow children to take on that, that, that power, but also reflect that vulnerability. So that, you know, when you have people looking at the work, not only are the kids staring you directly in the face, they're asking you to see their humanity. The, that's the main thing. Once you see my humanity, yes then you can't destroy me because now we are the same. 
And so those are the questions and, and comments that I try to um, build in my work. Yeah, you know, I think, you know, having two kids now, just, you know, had a baby girl in November. <laughs> she's, she's really little, but, you know, I, I see it a little bit differently now, right? Like the, the urgency um, for our children to be viewed as children just have the right to make mistakes, to play, um, to do all the same things that every other child does. Um, has always been important to me, but now it's personal, right? It's it's real. It's you know I think about um, the education system. I'm a huge huge advocate of public education. I'm a product of public education. Um, but when I think about the system, there's a fear there, right? Like we rock, we watch everything that's happening in Texas right now, where we are literally um, watching history be erased at the feet of white comfort. And we just need to call it what it is. And, and I think about sending my black children into that system and a system that devalues them. And again, love teachers. This is not teachers. I'm talking about the, the powers that be in a state like Texas that are making decisions. Um, and so it's scary. You know, it's scary to think about, you know, um, Eli, who's two and three years going into that system. Um, you know, will they see him as fully human if, as, as you know, gregarious as he is and as playful as he is, you know, will they, um, you know, view that as, you know, a negative when <laughs> at home I'm fighting to preserve it, right? Like, that's his superpower. It tires me out, but it's great, you know? So, um, it's, it's tough uh, to, to fight that battle and to try to figure out you know, how do I fight to preserve their innocence and their humanity when the world has already decided, you know, that some of the things they do will be viewed as negative? And how do I prepare them for that without also stripping them of their ability to be kids? I don't know. You raised five kids, you tell me. <laughs> And so I help us think 
I want to see this fusion somehow. That children shouldn't have to go outside of school only to find out who they are. And so how do we begin to create this fusion between a place called school and the places that you're creating where young people get to find themselves? So can we talk about that a little bit? Uh, and particularly, so our schools, and I'm an educator, and I don't mind criticizing myself. She's supposedly retired. But I think the arts humanize us. I'm an advocate of science and math and technology, but they will go rampant if we do not have the arts, the poetry, the visual arts. And so we destroy ourselves as human beings. So I'm on this mission for schools being played someplace to be somebody and a place where people can discover who they are. Deborah, can we talk about that for a minute? Yeah, well, let me tell you, I'm not meditating. <laughs> no, I'll tell you what my work does. My work is an access point for a conversation. Mm -hmm. And what I do is I add all those combinations together and give you an opportunity without yelling at you to come and explore my work. And I think that is the reason why my work has caught on the way it has. Um, you know, mark making has been, been here from the beginning of time when people started making carving and caves and things like that. You know, there's ways to use an art to gain agency in the world, we know that. Um, we've known that, you know, stereotypical images have used, been used to disenfranchise people. So art has always been very important. And I think in schools, you know, it's unfortunate because I was very lucky to have great teachers in art, in art when I was in grade school. Um, but we need art because it is a great way of expressing yourself, one's expression. And so, um, but you know, I went to Syracuse University and I didn't, you know, I had to teach, uh, I think I had to teach one year, my, my, my second year, I was ready to be done, you know, so I didn't tell you that I'm an educator. But one of the things I do know is that I do push for education and I want people to, like you said, see the humanity in these children and not change who they are. If they're expressing themselves through play and energy and loudness, doesn't mean that there's an issue in hand. It's just a child being a child, you know. Well, Deborah, you said, you know, rejected a little bit the idea of you being an educator, but I think, you know, what G-Mom has been cultivating is this conversation around how art, how as a form of storytelling, right, can inform who we are. And I think about growing up in Austin, Texas, as a young black woman in a predominantly white city, in predominantly white neighborhoods and schools, and this idea of not seeing myself in these spaces that I was supposed to occupy. And we use this phrase at Rosa Rebellion called creative activism, which is this idea that we can disrupt systems that weren't built for us, disrupt spaces, agitate spaces that never had intention to build around my identity, my language, my history. And the first time I encountered your work actually was um, when I was in middle school. And I was so struck by this idea of your, your ability to capture the full sensibility of a young black girl, a brown black girl who I identified with. And so I wonder, you know, when you think about your work and how people in this room as educators or who are proxy to, you know, education, how 
um, your work is this form of creative activism. It's storytelling, but it's also disrupting these narratives mm -hmm. that have been thrust upon us and didn't give us the agency to tell the world who we are. Right. That's one of the things that's so important. I was really surprised by the attention my work has been getting because of those things. I went to London and thought I was going there anonymously and, and to a fair and and then I was overrun by people. It's because the work is getting, that message is getting across, and that's what I want to, to just to see children as children, let them be children, let them be themselves. And you know, my experience in Austin is very different from yours because I grew up on the east side of Austin where everyone in the neighborhood looked like me. We all went to different churches, but we came home on Sunday. We played in, we played in the streets, and, and you know, until I was bust in the sixth grade, I didn't know that that was any different. Mm -hmm. I didn't know I was black in that sense until then. Yeah. So one of the things that I try to do in my work is is to be to show the fullness of being black. Mm -hmm. And black is not one thing. It's not this monolithic idea. Mm -hmm. uh, whatever your experience is, is your experience. That's the black experience. Mine is the black experience. It doesn't have to be the same. Absolutely. And so that's what I'm trying to do in my practice. So, yeah. I think about how um, important it is, um, you know, representing the fullness of blackness, right? Growing up, little girl in Tyler, Texas, in the country, and thinking about the images that I saw there, my parents' like um, intentionality around being sure that I saw black images, and you know, the best way they could do that at that time was through film, and being sure that they showed me. Um, black images from film and the fullness of who we were, not just, I mean, we watched Roots, right? They wanted me to know my history, but they also wanted to show, um, you know, I watched a lot of Spike Lee, um, a lot of things like that to show us. And at the time, I actually somehow became a lawyer, but I actually wanted to be a female Spike Lee because I did not have, I wanted to tell stories, right? And so full circle, here I am doing the Russell Rebellion, but, um, you know, I think that when we talk about the power of seeing yourself, I remember distinctly, you know, a trip we took to DC, and I am seeing, you know, um, images of the Marshall, and seeing things that I wouldn't see as a little, you know, country girl growing up in Tyler, Texas, and understanding um, how that transformed me, how that opened up the world for me, um, and I think that it's important that it's not just our people, parents of color, that are doing that, but it's important for white parents to show their children our full humanity and to do the same things that my parents were doing to open up the world for their children um, in a way that um, may not be innate. You might feel uncomfortable, you might not know what you're doing, you might get some things wrong, but do it anyway. Because I firmly believe that you know, if we want to envision a world, if we want to imagine a world, if we want to create a world where we no longer have to fight these same battles, where our humanity can be validated from jump, then it's going to take the um, unlearning and relearning from white parents to teach their children so as they grow up, um, they already, you know, see us as fully human and already have exposure to it. And I know that some of our people across the country are fighting like hell right now to not do that. Yeah. So many things come to mind, so I'm old. I'll try to pull them out. <laughs> <laughs> so one of them, uh, uh, 
maturation here in Austin, in East Austin, and being surrounded by communities and people that look like you and who invested in you. Um, and can you talk to us a little bit about how that has set intention or perhaps inspired your work and how you can see that correlation now? You are creating the content and the stories that now young girls right, can see themselves and feel affirmed. Um, and so you think about the, the legacy that you are already leading. Um, sure many of y'all saw her work on um, many covers, but most recently, um, the, the, um, an amazing image uh, honoring 10 years after Trayvon Martin. And I think connected to what Megan was saying is this idea of telling our stories as truth, right? We are combating cultural erasure happening in schools. We are literally rewriting history. And what that does to undermine students, particularly students of color's identity, the footsteps before them. And so part of that is telling the full spectrum of our humanity, which is joy, which is resilience, which is um, cultivating culture and language. It's not just trauma, right? Um, although America would want you to believe that during Black History Month, that it's all just trauma. And so, Deborah, I would love for you to kind of share with us how your own um, childhood here in Austin kind of informed and inspired your ability now to perhaps allow children to see themselves in a new light. Well, I mean, I'm one of eight kids, so I mean, I don't think, me being an artist, I told my family I wanted to be an artist, everybody laughed. And it was, you know, it was funny to them, but I knew that's what I wanted to do. So, you know, I grew up in the Austin school system, and it, it was great. Um, I had wonderful teachers when I went to Johnson High School, and then, um, so, I mean, I wouldn't say what inspires my practice is literature. I didn't know the literature was the key that was missing from my work. Mm -hmm. So I, I did a whole thing having different shows all over the, the country. I went back as an older person to Syracuse to get my MFA and with millennials. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, dang, so, we got two of you. Shots fired. Well, you know, you know, I was bullied because I wasn't on, first, I was on Facebook and I was bullied oh, from, because, I, because I had AOL and not Gmail. So, um, <laughs> but, um, you know, you know, one thing I can say about the millennials is they got me hooked on Instagram and everybody tells me that my Instagram uh, feed is really powerful because of the millennials. Is I, one of the things, I talk about all these things and a lot of things we talked about, especially about um, Women's Day and, and Jessica Brown Martin, when, when New York Magazine came to me and asked me to do the cover, um, they wanted to do a montage of all the people who have died in the last 10 years, and it was overwhelming with people, and I could not do it. I just could not cut up faces and merge them together, or leaving a little bit out of this person, Mike Brown, and leaving something with Breonna Taylor, and so, I chose to do Trayvon Martin um, face, and then I put a multitude of a lot of little black kids underneath his chin, and his whole idea was holding it, saying, um, you know, no more. And I think that they told me that was one of the, the hottest selling covers that they did, and I was really proud of that. So, yeah, you know, 
that type of legacy is something that I'm, I'm interested in. And, and also just, you know, laying the, the groundwork. I'm walking in someone else's, you know, mm -hmm. footsteps. Someone has already paved the way, you know. So I'm just really, hopefully, you know, helping other people to move this in this direction. And being earnest in my practice, I think that's very important. I mean, if you don't like the work or don't like what I'm saying, move along because there's a thousand people who do. <laughs> and, um, and so, and I'm not preaching at anyone, even though I come from a family of preachers. <laughs> I could preach if I wanted to. Um, but it's this idea of telling someone, you're hurting me and I'm not blaming you but I need you to see me and to see that pain and recognize it. And that's what my work is trying to do. And Deborah, I, I just have a question for you. Where do you think we are in this journey we've been taking? And I know your art just goes back to very slavery time. And Long ago. And so, I, I'm sorry, you, you exhibit, <laughs> exhibits, I'm sorry. That yeah. You, you feature. Yeah. But um, yeah, I do need to make that. So you, yeah. you but you, make reference to some of these exhibits. So if we take that part of, of uh, Henry Clark, he says, history is not only finding our place now, but finding out what we must become. How would you say where we are? How do you assess where we are now? Where we can go? And just a sense of history and we move forward and where are we now? Right, it's, it's really tough. I'm, I, I don't think I'm the person to answer that question. But one of the things I will tell you is that when I'm in my studio right now, I mean, you talk about slavery. And I said, you know, the first group of work that I did, I listened to Toni Morrison. Mm -hmm. You know, I put on, you know, took me, I was doing these dark paintings. She took me to a place. Love you, Tony, but I was happy to be. And then, um, you know, preparing for my London show, I decided to listen to the 16 Mansion Project mm -hmm. book, audio book. And it was, it's tough. I mean, I can't even do it. But I was, I was, I don't know, I was surprised by the work that's coming from that. So that's history within the work. Um, you know, I I have a love-hate relationship with Picasso. You know, I love his work. I hate him. You know, so 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 I'm I'm just starting to get the work into the dialogue when we talk about. He talked about the the Negro's experience in his work. I mean, it was you know he was appropriating a lot to work. So so how do that how do you how do you bring that type of dialogue that part of history? into the forefront. Mm -hmm. And so, um, listening, I had to turn off the call, Hannah Jones, love the scripture, but I can't hear it. And um, this is too painful, but but I, I, we came, I came up with a work, and it's, it was coming together today, and I said, that's what this teaches us, how I can use this, this knowledge that I have in history and bring it forward. So it's in the present. So I think, for me, that, like I said, creating access points so people can grab hold of stuff. That's very important for me and my practice. Well, I think usually, you know, at the end of our podcast, we get G-Mom, the last word, because she's got all the words and put it down, because I think it's only appropriate to do that this evening. But I 
I, I just want to remind you, I think Debbie ended up so beautifully, this idea of where do we go from here and what access points are you granting in your role in this education landscape? How are you amplifying voices that we don't typically hear for? How are you reconciling the histories that are literally being stripped out of our textbooks? And what role do we all have to not just amplify the voices of women and women of color and young girls and marginalized communities when we put it on the calendar, but every single day? And so with that, I'm going to let G-Mom give us some final words, and we thank y'all so much for having us. I just want to say what I appreciate, and you help me to even realize more, that there are complexities around who we are. And we often can't articulate them. Uh, we often don't know what to do with them. I'm writing my mother's story right now, and part of it breaks my heart. She was born in 1914. But what artists do, and visual artists, they take these complexities, which mean your mind is going, you are coming, you're processing it, and you give us something concrete that invites us to join you in making meaning of this complexity that we're living in. And I, I want to thank you, but I want all of our children I want black women and white women. Rogers wrote The Miseducation of the Negro. We're miseducating white children when they don't have exposure to that. So spread that word. Go wherever they, I know you get tired. <laughs> wherever they invite you, just enter in and open up that conversation that helps us understand the complexity of what it means to be a woman and even more specifically, what it means to be a black woman, and what's the journey that we have? How do we how do we create a journey that they can start as children and have joy and love themselves and make the journey in ways that they see themselves as positive and whole? So I thank you so much.